Hello, my lovely listeners, and welcome back to Catamania. In this week's episode, I chatted with Abby McGrew. Abby is the founder of Wayfarer's Design Studio, and she's got a very interesting lifestyle. Her husband is a professional basketball player. For the past seven years, they have been traveling the world, but not in a traveling way, if that makes sense. They've been basically living in different countries for the past seven years. So traveling, but also living in the places where they go. They spend about seven to nine months uh, in a place where they get sent to. Uh, I found that very interesting and also very cool. And we had a really great chat about, you know, what it's like to be moving around all the time and stepping out of your comfort zone majorly by being in a new country every you know, nine months or so, um, how Abby started her design business while she was, while she was, you know, doing this lifestyle, living this lifestyle, um, the struggles of starting a business and being an entrepreneur, an introverted entrepreneur as well. I wouldn't have guessed that Abby's an introvert. She's very good at, you know, communicating and talking. Not that introverts aren't, but it's just, I think that she exhibited traits of an extrovert um, when I met her. And also the importance of just doing it, as as cheesy as this may sound. I get a lot of questions from you guys on, you know, how I got comfortable in front of a camera, how I got comfortable in doing certain things. And I always say I just did it. I just knew what I had to do in order to achieve a goal or in order to move towards something that I wanted to move to. And I just did it. And Abby definitely, you know, lives by same philosophy and has been doing the same. She's just, she's been doing things that she knew or she knows she has to do. As per usual, if you like this episode and you like this podcast, feel free to give it thumbs up, stars, hearts, whatever platform it is that you're listening to this on. Enjoy and stay blessed. Welcome to Catamania, Abby. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Not to sound like weird, but I really like your name. I love the name, Abby. Oh, <laughs> well, thank you. I I guess I've always thought it's a kind of a, I don't know, basic name, maybe, but thank you. <laughs> I like it. It's just, it's very, very, um, there's no word for that. In, so my first language is Russian and there's a word in mm-hmm. Russian to describe it. It's like very, it flows really nicely. Like it's a very mm-hmm. melodic name, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't have any... Um, is it constant? Constant? Is that is that what it is in English? Like R or N? Like my name has Christina. Like it's very mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> Abby. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. flows nicely. Yeah. Where are you from, Abby? I'm from the U.S. I'm from West Virginia, which is a very small rural area of the country. But I'm currently living in Spain right now. Oh, and what brought you to Spain? Before actually I ask you that, I, I feel like everybody in the world knows about West Virginia because of that song, Sweet Home Alabama, right? Because he mentions uh, West Virginia, Alabama. No, 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 it's not that song. I know what you're talking about. It's not Sweet Home Alabama. Um, It's called Country Roads. Oh, sorry. Yes, Take yes, yes. Totally. Yeah, it's okay. Yes, yes. Because <laughs> even I, in, in like a former USSR Republic growing up in Eastern Europe, mm-hmm. I knew about West Virginia. Yes, you're right. It's that song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's what been funny. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so my husband actually plays professional basketball overseas. Um, and so, yeah, that's why we're here in Spain. This is our seventh year of him playing professional basketball. And so typically we go to a new country every year. So we've, yeah, been all over. And it's funny that you bring up country roads because, yeah, I went to my university was in West Virginia. And that's like our school song. Like they play it after every sports event <laughs> and it's been funny with us living overseas in all these different countries there have been so many moments when we've been in like Romania or Denmark or France and we've heard the song country roads like in a bar and people yeah. are singing it and it's just so funny that we we think that nobody knows anything about West Virginia but it wasn't until we traveled all around the world that we realized how like universal that song is everybody knows it which is really special to us being from there yeah absolutely it's it's such a famous song i think it's crazy like how much the world knows about us because of hollywood and the entertainment mm -hmm. industry that comes out yeah. of the united states like i sometimes i mean I, i've been living in canada for 11 years so mm. it makes sense that i would know a lot at this point in my life but like even before i moved to canada I felt like I knew so much, like I could name, mm -hmm. maybe not all, but like most U.S. states, I could name major cities, you know, and I was like, why, why is that? Like, how come we know so much? We study, obviously, like history, geography and all that kind of stuff. But mm -hmm. then I realized it's, it's probably because of the entertainment industry and how big it is. Yeah, like, right? it, it's worldwide. It really, yeah, it controls the world, it, it feels like. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I want to bring back to Romania because I'm from Moldova which is just the neighboring country and I'm curious mm -hmm. to know all about your travels but yeah let's go back to what brought you to Spain and oh sorry you said yeah your husband but uh seven years so I want to know which countries have you been in so far and which countries have uh you stayed in and for how long because it sounds it sounds like such an exciting lifestyle you guys just move around hey yeah yeah um, so we've been to Australia twice. That was the first country that we moved to. Um, we went to Australia, then to Denmark in Copenhagen, um, back to Australia, then to France. We did a season in the U.S., um, then to Portugal for two seasons. We were there in Portugal during COVID and, and everything, um, which was wild. Uh, then to Romania and then here to Spain. Um, and most of the time we're living in each of those places for like nine to 10 months during the whole basketball season. So yeah, it's wild. I don't know, not just, I feel like typically with digital nomads or, or something, you know, maybe you stay in a place for a month or two most, you know, you're really trying to go as many places as possible, but for our unique situation, we're getting to live there for almost a full year, which is very different, I think, just, you know, not just, it doesn't feel like a vacation, but we're really doing everyday life in another country and really having to fully, like, adjust to different cultures, different environments, all of that. That is so cool. You actually get to experience what living in that country is like, like, fully, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're very used to being out of our comfort zone. <laughs> I that's would say. Awesome. Ooh, that's so wow, that's actually so interesting. So doing that puts you out of your comfort zone. I could totally see that. 
Mm-hmm. I like that. Because yeah. every every year is very different. Every country has been very different. I mean, not just language-wise, but just, I don't know, things that you would never know, like the maybe it's the sense of humor that people have in that culture or just like their everyday habits of like when things are open and how they drive their cars on the road or like things that are acceptable or not acceptable. Yeah. There's just always a learning curve, which can be intimidating sometimes, but it's also fun. I think just to, you know, now we're just kind of used to always learning, I think. Um, and when we stay in a place for too long and get too comfortable, it feels a little bit weird for us at this point. Like we, we welcome the, you know, a new place. Yeah. Being out of our element, having to learn about a a whole new way of life, I guess. You guys almost got like comfortable being, being constantly out of your comfort zone, like getting out of your comfort zone. Would it feel Mm -hmm. weird to you if you were to... Like the the thought and the idea of settling somewhere for a long, long time. Does it feel weird to you then? It does feel weird. I think that, I mean, like I said, this is our seventh year. That's a long time to be doing this. We're definitely craving a little, um, a little more stability, I guess, at this point. Um, you know, we're getting older, like we're tired of a bit tired of having to live in different apartments and not be able mm. to like really have our own things <laughs> um, with us all the time. Uh, yeah, things like that, That that's definitely what we do look forward to for settling down, just having like a home base that's ours and our things that don't have to keep changing all the time. Um, but But it is difficult, I would say, for us to imagine actually committing to one place and yeah i think it'll be a few more years before we do that but yeah probably in the next five years i would say um we'll settle down and it'll be back in the u.s um i was just gonna ask will it be Mm -hmm. will it be u.s yeah do you have like an idea of where in u.s you would want to do it uh we're thinking about it um like i said we're both we're both from west virginia which um, if anyone is familiar with that part of the country, uh, we're not that far from like Pittsburgh and Washington, D.C., but West Virginia, it's very rural and we love it so much. It's where our families both are, all of our friends. Um, but now that we've lived so many places, it is kind of hard to imagine living there permanently and like raising kids there and stuff. I mean, we love it, but it's just there aren't any real cities in that whole state and I don't, everything's just very small. Um, so yeah, we might be looking to live somewhere else that just has, I, I don't know, a, not a huge city like New York <laughs> or something, but something that that's a little bit busier maybe than, than West Virginia, but we'll see. Yeah, I get that. That's fair. Um, I entertain the idea of us, actually lately even more than before because Canada's just, I mean, Canada's got other issues, but um, it's so cold. Like it's just so cold, you know? That's the other thing. We want to be somewhere warmer too. (laughs) Once you experience like one, maybe one winter somewhere where it's nicer weather Mm -hmm. and it's not snowing all the time and it's not like hurting to be outside, 
you're like, what? No, I don't want to go back to that ever again. That happened yeah. with my husband and I. We spent um, December, January in Mexico last year. And we came back to Canada in February and we saw sunlight for probably about four, four hours in the whole month of February. And I was like, this mm. is not life. I'm not doing this anymore. Like, I, I yeah. can't believe I've done it for 11 years, but I'm not I'm not doing it. I used to live in a place that was more sunny, but it was still so cold. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, that's awesome, though. It's a very um, interesting lifestyle that you have going on. I have to say, like, it's very, um, I guess, not not your ordinary type of life. You know, not, not your not your very conventional way of life, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And you don't have a very conventional, I guess, career path as well right because you started a business while you were pretty much on the road while you were moving or while you were in a place outside of your home country uh, tell me a little bit about that how did that come about yeah so I and I for those wondering I'm a brand packaging web designer um, so my business is called Wayfair Design Studio um, so I went to school for design. I always knew I wanted to be a designer, but I never expected to start my own business. Uh, whenever I was getting ready to graduate um, from my university, I assumed that I would go work in the corporate world or work for an agency or, or something like that. That's what I wanted to do. Um, Everybody does, right? Because we're told like, yeah. well, go to university, get a job. That's the way you can become rich and successful and all of that, right? Yeah. Yes. And yeah. especially, I don't know if things have changed by now because remote work and freelancing is a lot more common nowadays. But back then I felt that my professors and everyone, I don't know, working at an agency or working for a big company, those were kind of the career paths that were presented to you in school. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, starting my own business, it just wasn't really even a, a thought, you know, maybe in like 10 years. <laughs> but I, I just felt like I needed to get that like agency experience. Um, but it was like a month before uh, graduating that my now husband, we weren't married at that point, um, got the offer to go play basketball in Australia. And yeah, essentially he proposed, said, hey, let's get married. We're going to move to Australia in a month. Um, and I said yes. And so that was kind of the beginning of this whole <laughs> switching career path uh, visions, I guess, like my vision for what my career was going to be because, um, of course, I wanted to follow him. I wanted to go on this amazing adventure. Um, and everything just kind of happened so quickly. We planned our wedding in a month. We graduated and we literally got on a plane to Australia the day after my college graduation. I really, so, I don't mean to interject, but I really want to point out, I, I like how he proposed before you guys went on this adventure. It sounds like he yeah. means business. Like he was serious. Like, listen, <laughs> we need to get married mm -hmm. before we go. He wasn't, I talk about relationships a lot and I make a lot of comedy about like, you know, the, the way relationships work especially like western world versus like eastern europe mm -hmm. and he did something that i think a lot of a lot of guys wouldn't do maybe mm -hmm. you know what i mean like he 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 was like okay we're going on this adventure you need to be my wife when we go was that kind mm -hmm. of how it happened yeah we did talk about it and i yeah. definitely i definitely told him that that's what i wanted i mean we had talked for a while that we knew we were going to get married. We just didn't mm -hmm. 
know when we hadn't set a date or anything. Um, and then, of course, this crazy adventure kind of forced us to set a date <laughs> quickly. Mm-hmm. But once once he had gotten the offer to go play basketball, you know, we had no idea really what that world was like um and especially what the you know if i did go with him how was that gonna work like what was the team gonna pay for me to fly out there like how were we gonna find a place to live we just didn't know anything about this world and so i was looking online like reading blogs from basketball wives and girlfriends and i had read a lot of stories about people saying if you aren't married the team is not going to care about you at all and they're not going to try to help you with your visas. They're not going to, they're going to do the bare minimum. Um, now, of course, if you're in an amazing league and you're making millions of dollars a year, it doesn't really matter. But I just, I, I read a lot of those stories. And now having been in this world for seven years, I've seen that happen. Um, so that was also something that we had talked about. You know, I've, Definitely. Of course, we wanted to get married, like I said, but I also was like, I want to make sure that if I'm following you and I don't know what I'm doing career wise, (laughs) I'm following you across the world for your job and I have nothing lined up. I would like to at least have some security that like, if the team's not gonna, you know, let my visa run out and just say, sorry, you have to leave. I don't, you know what I mean? I, I was just worried. I was worried about that situation because of stories that I had seen from women. Uh, yeah. Who follow their partners in this world. And yeah, it can be a little bit crazy. Um, a hundred percent. And you, you, I like that you were clear. I'm I'm honing in on, on, you know, the, the husband and wife and dating part, just because it's such a huge pain point for so many. Right. Mm. And it's, I think it's so important. Like, it sounds like you had very clear communication with your husband about, well, well, then your boyfriend, I guess, about Mm -hmm. what you need, what is important to you, and you weren't afraid to communicate it. And he was, by the sounds of it, very receptive and Mm -hmm. very understanding. And he was like, okay, yeah, this is this is important to you. It's important to me. Let's figure this out. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and like so I ladies, said, I be mean, clear on your desires and communicate. Yeah, <laughs> and do not settle. <laughs> yeah. for anything that's less yeah. than you. Yeah, the less that you deserve. Yeah, 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 um, and yeah, and I think that for both of us, like, uh, even though it was a crazy time in our lives, like everything just felt like it happened so fast, but it just felt right. Also, I don't know. We didn't question it. We were just like, yeah we're going to get married. We're going to move abroad. We have no idea where we're living or like anything. Like We don't know what any of this is going to look like, but it just yeah. felt like this is what we were supposed to do. And I feel like all of our family and friends felt similarly. I mean, no one was trying to, <laughs> to stop us saying like, what are you doing? This is crazy. Um, yeah. Everyone was just super supportive, which was amazing. Yeah. And it's definitely, you know, when you I don't know why, but for me, it was really important that my husband and I become husband and wife. Like, it was really important to me because when you tell someone, like you were mentioning, people don't maybe even treat you seriously. His team wouldn't, like, you know, treat you as as a serious, I -hmm. guess, um, you know, partner of his. I noticed that when my husband was my boyfriend and I would say stuff like, you know, oh, I'm going to see my boyfriend. People don't know. A boyfriend can be like, oh, you've been together for a week. 
or it could be, you know, 10, 15 years or whatever. Whereas when you say your husband, it's like, okay, it's your husband. So it's, you know, it's mm -hmm. serious. And there's that, even that little thing to me was really important. So yeah. it's, yeah, I could see it. So let's go back to how um, you, I guess, so you, you graduated, you guys got married, you didn't really have plans on starting a business. Did you end up working at an agency? I tried. So once we got to Australia, um, I started applying to jobs. I applied to like design jobs that were there. Um, but I also applied to basically anything I could find, like a receptionist job or a daycare worker job, anything. And once people saw I was on a tourist visa, nobody responded. And yeah. I was... I think I just naively thought, oh, it's going to be easy for me to get a job here. Like, yeah, it's going to be no big deal. But yeah, it's difficult. Um, and it was funny because I actually met um, another designer while I was there who was kind of in a similar, had been in a similar spot. Um, she was from Brazil and had moved to Australia, uh, a designer as well. And yeah, had similar issues and that caused her to start her own business. So it was just kind of funny um, that, yeah, I was kind of forced into it. I, after a few weeks of not getting any responses, I realized, okay, I guess my only other option is to freelance and start my own thing. Um, and looking back, that's what made the most sense for me, knowing that we were going to be moving to a new country every year. Um, that would be crazy, <laughs> I think, for me trying to like apply for new jobs in a foreign country every single time we moved. Um, having something that was my own that I could take with me wherever we went. Yeah, clearly that was going to be my best option. I was just so nervous and scared about it because... I felt like I didn't have the experience that I was supposed to, um, you know, the, I hadn't taken that typical career path that had been shown to me as, you know, the example of what you're meant to do. Um, but yeah, I just said, I've got to go for it. <laughs> I guess if it doesn't work, I'll figure something else out. Um, but yeah, that was, that was when I decided to start my design studio and it was, very difficult in the beginning, um, especially being so far away from friends, from family. I don't know. That's usually when you're starting a business, your friends and family, like those are the first people that you end up like working with or somehow using to get connections, right? Um, trying to build your like network. But I was in a foreign country that I knew I was also going to leave in a couple of months. So I just felt very lost at like <laughs> where to even start. But uh, luckily, I feel like that was around the time that working remotely um, was starting to become a little bit more normal. So, yeah, at the time, it felt like this is the worst, <laughs> the worst thing I could do at like the worst possible time. But now looking back, of course, hindsight's twenty twenty. Um, now looking back, I think it was the best situation that I could have been in to to start a business. Would you say that very often it happens in life that you look back and things that at that time seemed like they were working against you, you look you look back and you're like, whoa, that was actually the perfect setup, the perfect thing that could have happened? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I think um, my, my tagline for my business actually is uh, where the heart leads results will follow. And I feel like that is kind of, I don't know how that tends to, to work out. You know, the, like I said, the whole time we didn't know like 
what our life was going to be like living abroad or, or anything. We just, in our heart, it felt right. So we said, okay, we're going to do it. And then it took a while, but results eventually did follow. Like it, it did end up being the right path. We were exactly where we needed to be at the right time. Um, yeah, I think, like you said, it just kind of takes a while to to look back and realize that, oh, that actually was what I was supposed to do all along. Right. It sounds like you followed your intuition without questioning it mm-hmm. too much. Yeah. And I've, I talked about it on my podcast so many times before, but I'm a huge proponent of when you have an intuitive lead, do like when you have an intuitive lead to do something, do it before your reasoning mind kicks in, because mm-hmm. you will find a million reasons. Your reasoning mind will talk you out of it because usually your intuition leads you to doing things that make the least amount of sense. So you were, you were mentioning even, you know, starting a business. It's like, well, nobody, nobody even told you that that would be an option when you were studying in, you know, when when you were learning, everybody was like, no, you got to go get a job. You got to go do this. So it was so unconventional and so out of the, the, the box of what you were told you should be doing, but you did it. You went for Mm -hmm. it and, and it made sense. How much would you say, um, or how how hard was it in the beginning, and was it harder than you expected to run a business, or is it harder than expected, or is it maybe a little bit more uh, straightforward than you would have thought in the beginning? Hmm. Um. Well, yes, beginning it was very hard, and I I think a lot of that was because I. I just didn't understand anything about the business side of business. I mean, I felt confident in my skills and my talents as a designer. uh, But I had just that that was the issue, I I guess, with with school that I mean, I'm glad that I went to school and got my degree. um, But there was so much stuff that they did not teach again, because they weren't really giving the freelancing starting your own business route as like a <laughs> an option to us and so things like putting together contracts and just kind of in general understanding like how to set up the business how to do your taxes um how to manage multiple projects at once i don't know there were just all these logistical things or administrative type things that i had no idea how to do right. and i think as a creative person I naturally am not that organized. And so that was also a big challenge of just trying to figure out how to be really organized and on top of everything, not procrastinate or get distracted. Um, So yeah, beginning, I don't know if I want to say it was harder than I expected because I always knew it was going to be hard. That's why I didn't want to do it in the first Mm. place. I felt like it was going to be too difficult. Um, But I think what surprised me was how much I did end up enjoying it because I always thought as well that I would never enjoy being my own boss um, or feel like I was good at it because I was introverted. Um, I don't know. I just I didn't feel you're an introvert. Yes, for sure. Oh, I would have never thought that. You're a very, um, I guess, undercover introvert. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're well, doing I well. Thanks. I feel like I've had so many years of, I mean, I started a business. So all of a sudden I had to put myself out there. I had to talk publicly about my work. I had to start selling myself um, to in order to get clients. And so I've, 
it's taken a lot of practice, I would say. But generally, yeah, I think I, I've always been very introverted. So yeah, I just assumed that I would never be a good boss and sales person, I, I guess. Um, but yeah, I really, I think entrepreneurship is perfect for introverts because you're working for yourself. And so you get control over everything. You don't, unless you want to hire people, you don't have to necessarily work about, <laughs> um, you know, working with others and like sharing the load. I, I don't know. I think it's just one of those funny things that of course there are pros and cons, but, um, mm. But yeah, I think I've heard lots of people who I guess identify as introverts saying, oh, yeah, I didn't think that I could be a boss because I'm not outgoing enough and, you know, I don't I'm too quiet and stuff. We assume that that's those are traits that are needed to be an entrepreneur. Um, but of course, once they start their own business, they realize, oh, I just get to work by myself all day. And like be in the zone and not have to like talk to a full office of other people. This is like perfect for me as an introvert. I don't know. It's just a oh, funny. Oh, that's interesting. Trend. That's actually a really interesting mm -hmm. way to look at it. And I would have never thought about that. I recently, I think I finally like realized that I, I always used to say I'm somewhere in the middle, but I realize mm -hmm. now that I'm an extrovert for sure because I thrive mm -hmm. from, you know, talking to people is my favorite thing to do. I don't like going out like at night as much, but I love going to places where I can meet new people and I can just chat. And it's, it's my favorite thing, which is why I started a podcast. I was like, this, this has to go somewhere, this energy, you know, I gotta, I gotta mm -hmm. meet people and share their talents with the world and their knowledge. But I want to ask you b before I move to ask you some questions about specifically, you know, your path as a designer and, and design and your company, how did you step out of that? I guess, you know, barrier that you had that you would tell yourself like, oh, I'm an introvert. Um, I can't really put myself out there, but I have to because now this is my mm -hmm. business. H how how was that for you? And what did you do? Is there any techniques that you could maybe recommend to those who are listening now and, and are like, oh my gosh, that's me. I'm an introvert. And I, I'm afraid of, you know, starting my own thing or doing my own thing because of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that just forcing myself to do it. Like if there was something that I was r really nervous about doing, like doing an Instagram live or something mm -hmm. and talking about my process to try and like get people to want to work with me. Right. Um, just forcing myself to do it once. And of course telling myself, you know what, if I hate it, I never have to do it again. But if I can just try it once and see how it goes and if it's not that bad, then I know I'm capable, right? So yeah, forcing myself to just try something once and see how it goes. And almost always I realized, oh, it's actually not that bad. Um, or of course, just with practice, like I think mm -hmm. especially with talking publicly, <laughs> it just it just takes practice. Um, yeah. And same goes for like all these situations that we would have with clients or, or something, you know. I think also for me being like introverted and I don't know if you – pay attention to Enneagram stuff. I'm an Enneagram nine, the is it peacemaker, I think. And so I like hate conflict. That was another thing that I thought I will not be a good entrepreneur because I don't, I don't want to ask people to pay me money. I don't want to like remind people, oh, hey, you missed a deadline. You need to get mm. this done as soon as possible. You know, those were other things. And um, yeah, 
I think another thing that helped a lot was, um, you know, learning from others, like seeking out um, mentorship from others. Um, and just from that, learning that even the people who I considered to have it all together, realizing that they were struggling with the exact same things as me. And so, yeah, I think that was a big part in those early years of entrepreneurship, feeling so isolated. I mean, I definitely felt isolated because I was in a foreign country with <laughs> none of my friends there, <laughs> Right. you know, so I, I really felt alone um, in all of that. But the more that I sought out, um, friendships with other entrepreneurs who were either, you know, in the same like stage of business as me, but also people who were where I wanted to be, um, and really trying to learn from them. Uh, yeah, I think those were the biggest things that kind of helped me get over those hurdles in the beginning and just start gaining my confidence and yeah, realizing that nobody has it figured out. So whatever I do is the best that I can do. <laughs> yeah, you know, totally. I I agree with you. I it was one of the greatest discoveries for me that like, all these people that I look up to, they also have insecurities, and they also have struggles, and they also have to overcome mm -hmm. stuff every single day, you know, the other thing that I um, want to zone in that you just said, that I think is so, so, so important is you said you just you just did it, you just did the things that you knew you had to do. This is such an important thing. You literally just have to do it. You know the things that you need to be doing in order to whatever it is, like, you know, achieve your goal, get better at something. But so many people just don't do them. They're afraid, you know, and they're they're afraid to even try. Um, I get asked a lot, how am I comfortable in front of a camera? And how did I get comfortable in front of a camera? And I'm like, I just got in front of a camera. That's all I did. And probably if you scroll through to my very early posts on Instagram, it's like cringe as hell because <laughs> I was, you know, shy and I, I wasn't really 100% sure if I myself liked the videos and stuff like that, like the content. But action precedes confidence. It's not the other way around. There's no way you can gain confidence and then do something. You gain the confidence by doing the stuff. So it's it's so powerful. And it sounds like you definitely are... Um, very good at identifying what you need to do and just doing it. Just knowing that that is exactly how, how you should go about. Uh, okay, I like that. Let's move to specifically design your mm -hmm. area of your area of expertise and your business. Um, is it so I guess what is your business about exactly? You, you were talking about branding. Can you give a little bit more information as to what it is that you exactly do at Wayfarer? Yeah, so we primarily work with e-commerce product-based brands, um, specifically people who are hoping to disrupt their industries. They've created a new product that's fresh and different, you know, trying to take a unique approach um, and do things better uh, than what's been done before. So those are the people we love to work with and we serve them by helping them build brand identities, the logos, the colors, all of those things, um, the packaging design, building out their Shopify website, um, and doing all of that in a way we call our, I don't know, our approach heart-led design, because that's really what we want to focus on for those people who are wanting to create something new. Um, and and we hope that like whatever product they're creating, there is passion and like 
purpose behind it. And we want that to shine through the design. We don't want to just create things that are, you know, based on what's trending right now, because, you know, there are lots of trends that come and go within marketing, within design, within branding. Um, but we really want to make something that's more focused on the values or the heart behind the business and the product, because um, that's what people are really going to connect with and um, create a really memorable brand experience for your specific customers. So, yeah, that's uh, what we focus on and yeah, I don't know if <laughs> there's anything you, else, what else to share. Do you, so how did you find the specifically need for it in e-commerce? Is that something that you jumped on just because you were already, you know, kind of embarking on the journey of remote work or you knew you were going to have to embark on the journey of remote work? Uh, or is it mm -hmm. just because you saw how fast e-commerce was growing yeah. So in the beginning, um, I actually mostly worked with like service-based businesses, worked with mm. a lot of like photographers, um, worked with some bloggers. Uh, but over the years when I worked with like my first few e-commerce or product-based, um, clients, I worked with like a skincare client. Um, I just fell in love with it. Cause I think I, I felt so excited about, being able to build a brand around a product and really focusing on like the problem that that product is solving. Yeah. And like I said, I, now we're, we really focus on people who aren't just creating a product that's like going to blend in with everybody else's. They're really, they've identified, oh, all of these products they're not really meeting the needs of like a specific type of person or, you know, these could be so much better. It could be more sustainable. It could be more efficient. Um, and they've just decided even if they don't have experience creating a product like that before, they've just said, you know what, I'm going to figure this out and make it for myself first. And then we'll see if other people want it. I think I personally just get so inspired and like excited <laughs> by people who um, have been, bold enough to go on that journey. And I think as a creative, you know, we're going to do our best work when we're the most inspired by our client. And so, yeah, that's kind of why um, we've niched to kind of work with that specific type of person because we just, mm. we love them. We love getting to be a small part of their journey and hopefully bring a new product into the industry that's going to offer better, smarter solutions for customers. Mm, yeah, that's fair. Do you, when you were in school, did you take web design or what was your, what was your specialty? It was web design. Yeah. My, my major was technically like an art major, but focused in graphic design. So we, we kind of had to take, I don't know, the <laughs> wide range of graphic design classes. So we had to do some web design, did some like magazine design. Um, yeah. All sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And how did you find, I want to go back to something you mentioned, uh, as a creative, you weren't very organized. Um, how did you find that in the beginning? Like, you know, how, how was it managing your weakness, so to speak? Uh, and how are you managing it now, especially as an entrepreneur? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like in the beginning, I just asked other designers for help to try and figure out, you know, how they organize their projects and things. Um, 
And it's funny because now over the years, I feel like I am very good, maybe not at organization as a whole. I mean, my office is very messy and I don't know, my files on my computer are very messy. But when it comes to our process and like setting up a, I don't know, a streamlined process and keeping the like client side of things organized, I'm very good at that because I think I'm just naturally, I... I'm a very detailed person, and so yeah. <laughs> I think I can get a little bit obsessive now over making sure, okay, if we're at this stage in the project, the client's probably going to think about this. So I want to go ahead and build something in and like organize things in a way that's going to be the easiest, I don't know, or the most natural way possible for them to like find what they need, be able to contact us or, or whatever. I think yeah. over it's taken a long time for me to just kind of learn, um, you know, the natural like rhythm of working with clients and when certain questions pop up or, you know, most common confusion that might happen and then setting everything up in a way to like get ahead of those issues before they pop up. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's, it's taken a lot of time and practice to, to just, I don't know, feel to prepared kinda, or organized for those things. Yeah. To, 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 I guess hone in on what potentially could have been your weakness, but to to master it in a way that still serves your business and your mm -hmm. clients. Do do you have you ever had and do you have um, issues with control? A lot of entrepreneurs have. I had it, and I still have it, and my husband also has it. We have you know two businesses, and I have. I was always like, oh, I would have no problems delegating things. Absolutely, as mm -hmm. soon as I can, I will delegate things. But then when it actually comes down to it, I'm like, ooh, no, I don't, I don't, mm -mm. what if this person does it the wrong way? What if this, and then one of my friends told me who she has a business, she's like, listen, you have to do it because you're going to be amazed when you have somebody helping you, whether it's an employee, whether it's a contractor, whoever it is, you'll be amazed at how much better they will do it often than you would do it yourself. And then mm -hmm. once, once we kind of, you know, experimented with that both my husband and I we were both like oh my god this is so worth it like it's so worth to delegate and and bring someone on and it's you know how there's that saying I don't know if uh, I think it's an English saying as well that two heads are better than one right yeah and so very yeah. often when you when you when you bring someone on you're like wow I had no idea that th this would be so great and it's great because it was your idea and I welcome it so did you ever have issues with that and how did you deal with it or were you kind of a little bit more chill when it came to bringing someone on and kind of giving that control over to someone yeah for sure um yeah it i i now have two employees so i have to deal with delegating <laughs> every day and it can definitely still be a struggle especially with creative work because i think as a creative like selfishly I I want to pursue my own ideas. I want that's to make sure I'm that asking, every little I'm like, detail it's is so right. tough for creative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's why, like, in school, I hated, I dreaded any kind of, like, group project. I just did not want to be a part of it because I was like, I would rather just do it all myself because I know it's going to be the best if I do it all myself, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, definitely is difficult. Um, but I think so I've had employees for um, a little over a year now and I had worked with like contractors before then. And I think that was a good 
way to ease myself into like learning how to delegate, um, working with some contractors and just kind of figuring out, I think it's also difficult because I, you really have to take the time to figure out what tasks do you enjoy doing? Which ones do you not enjoy doing? And also like, which ones does it, it doesn't matter if you do it or not. I think that was something I had like an aha moment at some point, um, with my junior designer, I was still designing like a bunch of our, marketing like Pinterest graphics and things like that and I was spending so much time on them (laughs) and I realized like it literally doesn't matter if I design this or not and and I thought well oh I can have her design it and then I'll review it but every time I was reviewing it I was just making little adjustments myself because I can't help myself Um, and so then I was like you know what I don't even need to review it it doesn't matter it's not going to be the end of the world if something goes out that like I don't know, wasn't exactly how I would have done it because it's a Pinterest graphic for like marketing, you know? Um, And so then I was like, okay, you know what? My junior designer is going to design these. She's not even going to show it to me. She can just go ahead and like post it because Mm. it's just extra mental work (laughs) I was doing to review it that, that honestly didn't need to be done and was just like unnecessary time that I was taking up in my day. So that was like a little aha moment that I had where I was like, oh, wait, I don't, of course, there are most things like anything that goes to a client, I'm going to review it for sure. Right. But there are some things in the business that it's really just going to be better if I can completely hand it off. And that's so hard to do. But like you said, it's so liberating when you finally do it. Because you have more time for your own stuff, right? Like for Mm -hmm for actual things that matter. Like you were saying, like some things, it just doesn't matter, but some things it really does matter. And you have more time and space to do those things because you're not worried about the little things here and there. Control is a form of fear at the end of the day, right? Like when you Mm -hmm. think, when when you have this, (coughs) excuse me, perfectionist mindset of like, well, no, 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 like I must do it. It's a form of fear. You're fearful that it's not going to turn out the way it should or all sorts of stuff. Well, we're almost at our time, Abby, but I did want to chat about something that is always very interesting to me. And I think it's interesting, you know, I'm not a designer, but it still interested me my whole life. And I know that a lot of our listeners will also be interested in it because, you know, you you, you can look at it from a way of like design and also you can look at it from a way of a consumer anywhere you go. And that is color psychology. Mm. Any, you know, general things that, that, that we could maybe talk about that, that you could you could educate us on um, yeah. color psychology, really anything that you can think of. I don't really have yeah. a specific question aside from just, <laughs> you know, certain what color means what basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, you can definitely Google like there are lots of things that will talk about color psychology. We have a, um, a blog post on our website about it. And we've actually been doing a series on Instagram where we've broken down like color by color and talking about like what the deeper meaning and the psychology behind each color is. And um, yeah, so if you want to look at our Instagram, you can find those because they've been really fun to do. But in general, color communicates stuff to us. And I think Mm -hmm. when it comes to branding, it can be really difficult sometimes for founders to, you know, you want to pick a color for your packaging, for your branding. Um, And a lot of times they get kind of caught up on wanting to choose a color that's just like the colors that they personally like, um, when maybe that's not 
strategically the color that's going to communicate what you actually need to say to your customer. For example, we had a client where we knew that we wanted the brand to make people feel it needed to represent like joy and light and like happiness. So we wanted to go with yellow. We suggested that to her and she was like, oh, but I hate yellow. I would never paint a room in my house yellow. <laughs> and But that's where we had to kind of talk it through. And we ended up going with yellow and now she absolutely loves it. But it took a second for us to kind of convince her and have her realize, well, maybe it's not what you would paint a room in your house, but... Right this is my room in your house, this is your product, and it needs, you know, yellow is going to make people feel the way that you want them to feel when they engage with your brand. So in general, that's color psychology and like why it's important is, you know, not getting caught up in your own personal preferences around color and really honing in on how do I want to make people feel and what that's very interesting naturally that's bring up those feelings. That's the default that anyone would think about, right? Like when you start a business and you haven't done it before, you're you're like, well, what color do I like the most, right? That that's mm -hmm. what you default to. So that's very interesting. Okay, I like that. So how do you how do you want to make people feel as opposed to what color do I like and what color would I use to paint a wall in my um, house? I like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it's really fun to play with, I think, with our clients. Of course, if you're in certain industries like food or beverage like colors are associated with ingredients and flavors right so that makes it a little bit easier um but if you're kind of outside of that um yeah like i said it'd probably be good to to google and you know you can read lots of <laughs> documentation on psychologically what emotions or feelings we associate with certain colors but like Purple has always been like a royal luxury color. Um, green, of course, we associate with nature. Um, orange feels very energetic and alive and active. Um, yeah, it's always interesting when you start noticing like what big brands out there, what colors they are using. And then you realize, oh, they use orange because it feels active and alive and energetic and that's totally what they embody as a brand anyway so of course it makes sense that they would use that color um mm. yeah it's always it's subconscious for us on the consumer side but when you start to realize these subtle <laughs> psychological things that brands are doing it's really eye-opening i think yeah for sure do they have also um so i know that every color has like a positive association with it, but then it also has a negative association with it. Does mm -hmm. it depend on how you use that color or does it depend what mood the consumer is in, like the person looking at it? What does that depend on? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, definitely like colors. I mean, once you get into different shades, like say you want to pick blue because blue is like, tranquil and calming um, and usually like very trustworthy uh, but then there are like millions of shades of blue right yeah 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 so of course you can't just say oh I want to use blue but like which blue um, and right. I would say that's where it gets into it like there could definitely be a blue that works for maybe what you're trying to accomplish and also a shade of blue that doesn't work like if you want your brand to be very calming and soft, you could use blue, but you're not going to use a bright 
like neon type of blue, you want to use a softer shade of blue. So that's maybe where I would say, does that answer your question? I feel like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you it depends be... on the shade, basically. It depends on the shade yeah, that you use. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. that's fair. Yeah, and potentially awesome. the other colors that you pair it with. If you're using multiple colors in your brand packaging experience, um, pairing I think I it have with like four with for my podcast. I have four. Co- I don't have packages, yeah. obviously, but um, I have like four currently in my in my podcast and or three they are like coded and all that kind of stuff but Mm -hmm. um each one represents its own thing and then together they also are supposed to make people feel a certain way like like a good Mm -hmm. feeling obviously i'm shooting for but it's and is it okay so not only are you supposed to use the right color when it comes to like your dominant color in your brand but whatever you pair it with also will will determine how somebody feels when they look at the whole thing, right? Yeah. I always think of luxury brands and how they always use like one or two colors, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, we kind of go back and forth with on our with our clients a lot, um, deciding should we just use one color as like your signature color? Personally, I think that that can be a smart move a lot of times, especially when you're just starting out um, because you really want to generate recognition for your brand. And if you're using one color very consistently and it's a color that none of your competitors are really using, um, it's a great way to just kind of instantly make your brand more recognizable. Um, Yeah. A great example of that is Tiffany's. As soon as I say Tiffany's, mm-hmm. immediately you have the color pop up in your head, right? Yeah. It's it's like instant. You don't even have to think about it. Or mm-hmm. even when you say jewelry, whether or not you're a fan of other jewelry, jewelry companies or jewelry stores, you'll right away think of the blue, the Tiffany blue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, lo- I love the subject. I feel like we could record a whole episode on just colors and, and color psychology. Uh, but we are at our time, Abby. And I wanted to ask, how can people find you, uh, find your company? Yeah, so we're mostly on Instagram. That's where we're most active. So it's at Wayfarer Design Studio. Um, I'm sure, you know, if you link it in the show notes or something, they can see how to, yeah. how to spell it. Um, yeah. And then our website is wayfarerdesignstudio.com. Um, like I said, we have, of course you can check out our services on there, but we also have a blog with lots of branding, e-commerce packaging advice and tips. Um, yeah. If you're especially interested, interested in color, um, we have a color palette quiz actually that you can take, um, on our site that'll match you with different color palettes based on like the feeling you want to convey or the values that you stand for. So that's a really fun um, little like exercise that you can do to try and play around with color and think about it more strategically. Great. Thank you so much for your time, Abby. And thank you for our dear listeners for tuning into this episode. We will see you next week. Mm-hmm.